You're listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Sam Williamson. I help connect businesses with their tech talent. Today, I'm your host. Uh, welcome, everybody, if you're already here. I'm uh, really looking forward to getting this webinar underway today. Um, we'll do some introductions, get to know everybody, and then we'll jump into the topics that are going to be, you know, around the front end ecosystem, talking about these guys' favorite web stacks um, and more. It's going to be exciting. All right, guys, I'm going to kick it off. So um, before we kind of get into introductions today, I, my fantastic guests that I've got on, I'm your host, Sam Williamson. I work for the Evolution Recruitment as part of the Nordics team here. And today we're the ones bringing the webinar on what's going to be the best open source front-end software in 2023. I'm going to work away around the room. I want to introduce you to a fantastic panel we've put together. Um, I'm going to start off with Kim. Tell us a bit more about yourself, mate. Thank you, Sam, and uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. So, well, my name is Kim Johansson. Uh, I work as a, a senior front-end engineer at uh, Rarewine, a company dealing with uh, trading and investing of uh, of uh, valuable wines here in Aalborg, Denmark. Uh, the past two years, uh, I have been working at a company called Sego, doing uh, online, uh, what do you call it, gambling slot machine games, uh, where my speciality has mainly been uh, in WebGL and the engine programming in, uh, in Java and JavaScript and, and Clojure. Um, I have a couple of years uh, of background in the gaming industry as well, like uh, AAA games. Um, and I have uh, recently in the past three, four years moved on to, to front web development because I think it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit more uh, easy to find jobs, I think. Uh, in the games industry, you have to move a lot. Uh, I started to prioritize my family and, and my home more. Um, so yeah, today I'm uh, I'm actually working a lot on uh, making a, a front-end component library uh, for all our internal tools and our homepage and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, that is uh, made in uh, the most recent version of React, React 18. Uh, so that is my uh, my preferred preferred stack. I would say React together with uh, 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 with something like. Uh, recoil uh, stage management. I even know that React came along with some hooks that can, um, in some ways, even maybe eliminate the, the need for for those state management libraries these days. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's evolving a lot. Uh, even you know within the, uh, the React uh, community, uh, I think there's a lot, lot, lot of stuff going on. Uh, even the most recent versions of React uh, comes with a lot of new uh, cool features. Also, some breaking changes now and then. Uh, so yeah, that's. I think it's really interesting. Thank you, Kim, and, and we know who's cool. If we rare wines, I'm a wine lover myself, so we might have to have a conversation after this call. Uh, Jonas, we'll come to you next. Let us know who you are, what you're working on right now. Oh yeah, thanks for the introduction. Um, well, yeah, as said, my name is Jonas. I am currently working on, or I, I'm freelancer and I've been doing so for about two years or so. Um, I do technical architect roles and full stack development, uh, primarily doing Angular and C Sharp uh, and some Kubernetes stuff, which I find really interesting and doing a bit of projects to the side um, with, so that I can learn new stuff and whatnot. Um, doing that in React and Kubernetes currently. Uh, currently, I'm sitting at uh, Astel, a uh, big Danish energy corporation, doing some uh, some front-end stuff for them. And it's uh, yeah, it's really nice working with a great team over there. Um, hopefully, I can have a few guys in here. Uh, yeah, send my regards from here. Thank you, Jonas. Uh, Mikael, tell us a bit more. Um, yeah, I've been uh, doing. I've been a developer since uh, 2014, sort of in in uh, various world, but mostly um, uh, so mostly sort of a, a web app full stacker with a little bit of tilt uh, towards uh, front end. Um, sometimes um, uh, sometimes full time contracts, uh, sometimes startup, sometimes a couple of part times or like a full time plus a part time. Um, and um, uh, recently, um, and uh, finished a, a contract um, with a company in California, um, 
and uh, I'm now sort of in the in the closing negotiations for a, a contract uh, via a U.S. consultancy for a bank in um, uh, for a bank in Taiwan. Um, there's like some NDA stuff uh, that I have to assign for Anoma. So unfortunately, I cannot say too much about uh, what it in what it involves. Um, and um, sort of interestingly, when we sort of get to get to discuss our favorite stacks a little bit uh, uh, deeper, I've been using uh, Reason, uh, Rescript back when it was called uh, Reason since um, since yeah, 20, 2017. Um, and I'm going to be like, if I get the chance, banging the drum a little bit for for that direction. Thank you, Mikael, and best of luck with the the new opportunity coming up. You're keeping us in the dark a little bit there. Um, talking about being in the dark, Nikki, we can't see you, but tell us a bit more about yourself. Yeah, uh, apologies for the, the the missing camera. I'm not sure what happened. But, uh, <laughs> not a problem. Yeah, as uh, as Sam said, uh, just uh, imagine a very uh, handsome Bond villain, and then I think spot on. Um, but yeah, I'm uh, my name is Nikki, and I've um, I've been freelancing for. Uh, 12 years. Um, I do um, mostly front end. Um, and um, yeah, uh, yeah, I've been working for lots of Danish uh, big enterprises, um, but also uh, some smaller startups. Um, um, for the past uh, six years or so, uh, I've come to sort of specialize within FinTech and, uh, and uh, some blockchain. Um, so at the moment, I am um, uh, I am working with um, a Danish staking provider called Norstik, um, where I'm doing some UX and and, uh, and front end work, uh, and I'm also doing um, a uh, um, a non blockchain related project for uh, Polkadot uh, through a, um, a German uh, branding agency, which is called Koto. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, Stack, I I work of course with uh, with JavaScript and TypeScript, um, and I prefer to work with uh, with React, uh, Next.js, Node, uh, what have you. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's it. I also have a bunch of uh, unfinished uh, side projects uh, that I'm trying to to spend my time on. Um, and otherwise, I'm just uh, chilling here with my. Uh, my bond cats in, in Copenhagen. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you for letting us know all who you are. Now we've got a good idea. And it sounds like we've got a great mix of both experience on the front end, the back end, and across that web stack. So I'm really looking forward to kind of sinking our teeth into the questions today. Let's go into the first topic, talking about everything around the front end ecosystem. I know speaking with these guys before in preparation for this webinar, there's a couple of different opinions in, in how it's looking out there. Um, but let us know what you think in the comments as we go. Um, and hopefully we can answer any questions towards the end. Um, but Kim, I'm going to come to you first. I know you spoke about the front end ecosystem becoming more fra fragmented. Tell us a bit more. Yeah. So um, one of the reasons I think this is really interesting to talk about is that um, when I think back in even 2009, 2010, uh, where I started, you know, experimenting with JavaScript and uh, and web development. Uh, I still remember the days where stuff like you know npm and React and Angular and all these very complex libraries were not really a thing like that. Uh, JavaScript was more um, a a way to to make you know animations and uh, some simple stuff on the web pages because more or less these browser implementations of the like the JavaScript interpreter uh, was not really that efficient. Um, so I have basically, you know, been, you know, watching, you know, JavaScript evolve from what it, what it used to be and what it has become today. And one of the things that I've been noticing is that uh, JavaScript has turned into a complete ecosystem uh, because we, we have both seen that JavaScript has evolved not only on the front end, but using Node also involved uh, onto becoming, you know, uh, a really effective tool for doing backend stuff. And we have also seen even, you know, desktop applications being done in JavaScript using, you know, Electron. Uh, so I think that JavaScript has become, you know, not only uh, a tool for scripting browsers and web pages, but it has actually turned into something that we can use across the board uh, from, you know, web development to backend server development and even onto desktop applications and even to some extent, you know, 
being used as a scripting languages for modern uh, AAA games. Um, so in the way that when we look at, you know, the front end, now we're talking front end uh, right now, and even on the front end side of JavaScript, I think it, it's really interesting to watch how JavaScript is not only being used uh, to run in the browser and on the back end, but one of the things that I've been spending a lot of time on is also on the tool chain. So let's say, for example, that uh, I want to make, you know, a web page. I might need some tools for doing translations. I need some tools for uh, static images. I need some tools for, you know, optimizing my JavaScript that's going to run on the browser. Uh, so in, in web development, uh, we have a lot of use cases where it's not just enough to just have a compiler. Uh, we need a lot of different tools for a lot of different jobs that we do in the development process. And that's where I think that JavaScript and nowadays TypeScript really excels, is that you can not only use this language and all these different you know, code packages on the front end and the back end, but also on the tool chain. And that's where I think that JavaScript really differs from, let's say, C++, uh, the C++ ecosystem or with the .NET, uh, where you usually have you know, some provided tools for handling this kind of stuff. Um, when we talk about fragmentation, one of the things I find very difficult on the front end these days is that if you, especially if you start up a new project, uh, you have so many different stacks to choose from. Uh, you, you might go for, you know, uh, in the front end, you might go for React, you might go for SolidJS, Vue, or Angular, or whatever. And if you're not choosing Angular, you might also need to figure out some way of managing your state. You might have to find some kind of libraries to handle your know, communication with the backend. You might just do simple, you know, uh, REST, uh, uh, you know, queries, but you might also use something like GraphQL. Um, so in my case, for example, when I'm using uh, uh, one of my hobby projects, um, I'm using, you know, React for the like the front end. Uh, I'm using uh, Prisma for the back end. Uh, I'm using Apollo on the server side. I'm using Apollo on the client side to do GraphQL communications. Um, so there's a lot of different, you know, libraries and technologies involved today in making, you know, the complete package of a web service. Uh, and choosing between these can sometimes be difficult because not only we have so many to choose from, they are also evolving very rapidly, in my opinion, all the time. So even, you know, from React for a couple of years ago and Re React today, we have turned away from, you know, the regular class-based components into uh, JSX components. So well, the whole way of using these libraries also change over time. So not only choosing, you know, the right stack in terms of which libraries to use, we also have to determine, you know, which versions of these libraries we're going to use. And in the cases where we're not starting up a new project and coming maybe into some kind of commercial existing solution, there might be, you know, a very specific version that they're using of these libraries that we need to know in order to just jump into that project. And that's one of the things in the front end that I find very hard these days, that if you go onto an existing project, you might end up with that they're using Angular version 8 or something, or React version 15. And then you have to think of, oh, did they use hooks in that version of React? If they didn't, how? I have to, you know, um, rewind back in time and think, how did I do React components back then? Um, that's really one of the things that I think makes it hard as a front end today, especially when you're uh, a junior or something that you really need to consider which kind of stacks you want to learn and which stacks you want to you know specialize in definitely and I, I know we spoke about this before uh, Jonas made a good point when I spoke to him saying about how many updates there are and all these different texts and, and web stacks you can use yeah, Jonas do you want sure. to tell us a bit more yeah, for sure, for sure. I can just jump in here. Um, it's just I'm coming from a background working purely with enterprise IT stuff. Um, so this that's my point of view, and that's what I'm going to be speaking from today. So keep that in mind. Um, but I do think in front end, um, there is a lot, the, the, the roadmap for each uh, package and each framework you're using is so much tighter compared to backend technologies. And I think that's really worth looking into if you're building an enterprise architect or enterprise application that's going to be used and maintained over the years you have to keep an eye out for okay how much maintenance do i have to do to keep this application alive and for my developers to being able to work on it um, if we take the example of angular js or sorry just angular now um, <clears throat> they have a release schedule so it's stating two major releases a year 
So that's two times a year. Basically, you have to do a, I wouldn't say complete upgrade because some, they have very good tooling to, to upgrading. Uh, but it's just worth keeping in mind whenever you pick your framework um, that they differ a lot in terms of maintenance that you have to do across the different uh, across the different frameworks you can choose out there and, and packages as well very much indeed because packages they go deprecated left and right so keep an eye out for that whenever you pick hmm. has anybody got anything to add yeah Kim agrees Mikhail have you got anything to add um, yeah, so um, my experience has been with um, uh, with has been been with smaller clients where there's either been um, freedom to sort of choose my own stack, or um, I've been lucky enough to be in place where uh, like we haven't been on React 15 or like earlier versions um, uh, than than that. There's been some cases where like so we sort of we don't like particularly like how this ORM like how we're using that, and then but but because we're focusing on like delivering some feature, then like some tech that will kill And then, then you do sort of get into, oh, we're actually like two major versions behind. And instead of just doing, instead of just doing the uh, the upgrade path from like, like say if you want React 15, right? And now React 18 is out. You're not just upgrading from 15 to 18, you're sort of going through, okay, then I guess to follow like the path that doesn't break anything, first to go from 15 to 16, and then go 16 to 17 and, and sort of all the way up. Um, and uh, I think that that fragmentation, um, uh, I think, is um, um, uh, I, I think is, is more of a, a risk on um, on projects where you have like many many more stakeholders or, or bigger development teams than, than most things that that I've uh, that I've been on. Also, because it's been been sort of relatively manageable code bases, or like so we've been in stakeholders and like of all the different services uh, interacting with them. But but definitely run into the Crap, we didn't update for like a year, and now we're uh, now we're a bit behind. And and like, which feature are we pausing while we go through the the update? Just a note on that as well. Um, just just whenever you pick stuff, um, it's also important that you have to not only convince your team that okay, we need to upgrade this stuff. Um, you also have to convince a client saying okay, we need to upgrade this stuff. A client may come back, okay, so what does it bring us? And as a developer, how do you explain what an upgrade brings a product? Like what can, what what can you do is like what does this specific upgrade bring you? Okay, um, you make it easier for us. That's it. You don't get anything in the UI. You don't make it. Sometimes it gets quicker. Yeah, that's true. Um, but but keep in mind that whenever you sell a framework to to a client, you also have to say okay, or it's it's important to keep in mind saying okay, um, you you can pick this one. We can deliver an application really quickly. But you have to bear in mind that there are more maintenance costs on this set framework compared to others. Uh, yeah, so just worth them when, whenever you propose frameworks to a client. Hmm. Now, also, I guess um, that uh, you, you need to propose uh, solutions that are actually maintainable in the future as well, and that they are mature and supported. Uh, so usually, <laughs> if it has a, a good community backing behind it, then it's most likely a set bet. But if it's some very fancy framework that uh, that someone made uh, made in their basement uh, and no one's really using, I mean that might be fun for you, but you never know like if it's going to be maintained in in a year from now. Kim, you've got something to add? Yeah, so I, I also think that today I work with uh, with a kind of a smaller company. We're only 20 people at the office. And I've also noticed, you know, when the HR department is searching for people, I think it's also important to sometimes think about that if we just upgrade to the newest framework um, or another framework, whatever you, you like to do, you also have to consider, can we find people if we need more people on the team to maintain this? Uh, are there enough people out there who know how to use the newest version of React? I think that's a really valid point as well. Mikhail? Yes, uh, like um, building on, uh, on on Jonas's point kind of uh, like, so So, what is it that switching to this package, uh, upgrading this package uh, gives an, um, uh, that it usually for a client can be sort of very like intangible because like the end thing that's there still looks the same and, and sort of works the same. Um, and I think a lot of this is about uh, what gives like, what is what is the better developer experience? Like, what gives you 
better types, what um, makes sure that you catch bugs, um, like during like, so that there's a whole like JavaScript versus TypeScript versus Rescript um, debate, um, stuff like, like GraphQL where you're not delivering like a different, you're not even delivering a different feature set for the product, but you're kind of delivering at least sort of a promise of maintainability and, and velocity um, that you, mm. you spend like a, I don't know, like let's say a month switching a framework. And then if you initially have planned to do this amount of features over six months, then pay a month up front, And then maybe in the six, you can maybe deliver those features in four months. That's, that's at least the, the, the kind of argument that you're making. Excellent. Well, what I want to do is kind of flip it a little bit, move away from fragmentation uh, and, and onto a point that, that Nikki made around about outside of enterprises that you do front-end developers and now going more into back-end or DevOps and, and these even more specialized fields such as mobile side of things, blockchain and machine learning. Um, these are all being taken on by um, these front-end developers. Does this mean that JavaScript is, is king? Nikki? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think uh, I think JavaScript is king because it it, it can um, it can literally <laughs> run almost anywhere. Uh, like Kim also mentioned earlier, you can you can run it in the browser, you can run it in the server, on the phone, uh, in like um, uh, like integrated devices, blockchain, whatever. So I, I think it's uh, it's it's safe to say it's not going anywhere, um, and. I also think that it the the scope of JavaScript has broadened so much for the past uh, 10, 12 years while I've been uh, working. So it also means that the the sort of the the title of front end uh, developer becomes kind of blurred because suddenly you have uh, front end developers doing back end work or mobile work um, because why not? Then they don't have to rely on 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 others, um, uh, I think it's definitely something that we see more, more and more, and I think it's going. It's yeah, it, it's been a long process, and I don't think it's going to to uh, turn again. Um, obviously, in enterprises, then they're a bit harder to change. Um, so mm -hmm. you, you usually have like a dedicated um, backend developers and DevOps engineers and such. Um, the, uh, I read an article it's, it's, it's a few years ago um, by uh, Brad Frost, where he touches upon uh, that there's like a, a front of the front end and a back of the front end, where some front enders they 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 mainly work on UI um, and uh, collaborate with the designers and, and such, and then there's um, uh, the back of the front, uh, which is still front end developers, but they are working more on uh, on on business logic, uh, server stuff, DevOps stuff, uh, and and those kind of things. Um, I think it's something that, uh, yeah, it, it just means that the front end itself is very broad definition. And I also think that uh, developers themselves they are on a um, uh, personal journey. And what I see is that uh, as uh, front end developers gain uh, seniority and um, experience, they move towards uh, the back of the front end where they are, yeah, digging a little bit deeper in, into the uh, yeah, frameworks and, and such, and not, not just uh, pasting uh, uh, divs together, so to speak. Not that there's anything wrong with that, because I think uh, there are very brilliant uh, front end developers that just the amazing UI and uh, that's not for everyone um, that that requires uh, a lot of skill Tim did you have something to add there did your hand go up yes so um, in the in the company I work with today uh, the bag in this is a dotnet solution um, in my spare time I have a like project going where it's the back end is node.js based and uh, I just noticed uh, one of the uh, very common use cases that I experienced is sometimes uh, we have, uh, you know, doubt whether some kind of uh, non-critical business logic should be on the back or the front end. Uh, and in our case here, uh, we had some logic going on on the front end at the moment, 
where we decided that it was too critical to be on the front end, so we wanted to move it to the back end. And in that case, we actually needed to rewrite some code because we needed to translate this kind of JavaScript uh, you know, business logic into you know, C-sharp, so it could run on the back end. Um, and that's one of the way, uh, the examples where I think that you know having you know Node.js as your backend it really excels because you can basically have a common library of a lot of different utilities and business logic functions uh, that you could basically you know reuse both on the front end and the backend where it makes sense. Um, but also um, one of the advantages is that um, in our case right here we have some developers that have only been you know developing in uh, .NET in C sharp. Uh, and isn't really that much familiar with uh, with, the, with JavaScript and the whole npm yarn you know uh, ecosystem. And what I really find nice about you know working in one ecosystem is that uh, it's easier for people to move between front end and back end because they're dealing with the same ecosystem, they're dealing with the same libraries in a lot of the ways, they're dealing with the same language. Um, so in and in those cases, it even makes it easier also to make, you know, strict type interfaces between the front end and the back end. It ha I have to mention, though, that one of the reasons why stuff like, you know, GraphQL and all these different kind of schema solutions have come around is basically to solve one of the, these problems, like where you have, you know, different languages uh, across the back end and the front end. So you need some kind of, you know, type safety between, you know, the APIs. Um, but, but, but still, I think that there are some advantages, especially when you, Combined, you know, JavaScript across across the board. I think Jonas had his hand up first, Mikhail. We'll go to him, but then I'm definitely coming to you. <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, I, I think it's a really good point you have, Kim, uh, with the front end and back end being JavaScript and all. Um, and I think basically what it comes down to is basically the issue that you brought up earlier, which it resolves within your HR department. Like, can you find the resources to do that? Because uh, I do. I do think that having a Node.js backend is, is a good option as well, but I think that there are a lot of people who specify in backend development only, and they don't look that much into that yet. Uh, not saying it won't happen, but I just think it's movement in progress. Um, yeah, but, but also worth mentioning with the logic uh, backend as to having the logic in the front end, there's also just you should also look into the security issues that that could bring because because I know that some people tend to do very logic heavy front ends, uh, but it is easier to exploit logic heavy front ends. So just worth to keep in mind whenever you design your system. Really good point. Yeah, Mikhail. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I, I I think I sort of uh, very fundamentally agree um, that uh, like one of the uh, advantages of uh, of using this the same language on on front end, I don't know, like middle end, at least sort of at the at the API layer when doing that is is also the ability you have sort of as a developer to um, not be blocked by other people. Like you don't have sort of have to send at least if it's if it's something like like GraphQL or you have sort of these backend for the front end kind of kind of frameworks, then um, what you're doing sort of as a front ender is is kind of both ensuring that you can get like the data out of the API sort of in the shape that you want and use it for for your components. And I think sort of the less that you have to start pinging other people who are experts in other frameworks, um, also sort of the more velocity you can have um, uh, as, as like an individual developer or individual team. I would say that's also, I mean, sort of um, building on the point that Jonas had, that's also a thing that I think may be more of, an, um, of a concern like in, in in smaller places with less resources, where um, uh, like if, if you're doing like startup or app or like simple web apps versus like a, a a more corporate system where there's a whole bunch of um, there's a whole bunch of say like compliance things and, and security things that you may have to be be more aware of. Um, and then sort of a, um, a, a, a another point that I got to thinking about whether like JavaScript is king, and I think I would. Um, modify that kind of to JavaScript uh, as a target is is king. Where I, um, so um, like so TypeScript on top of um, well TypeScript basically more stuff on top of JavaScript. Um, Rescript that I mentioned previously that compiles to JavaScript. Um, JavaScript which uh, compiles to JavaScript. Um, I think offers some better developer experience while still being able to leverage all the places that 
all the things that JavaScript can interact with, basically, you run in browser, on phone, in Electron, and inter interface with a very large ecosystem. Kim, come to you. I just want to quickly add, I think JavaScript together with the JavaScript tool chain is really king. That's where mm. it excels, because TypeScript is basically, you know, part of the tool chain of JavaScript, usually. Uh, and I would also say that, you know, the, uh, the package manager, for uh, you know, the package management for, for JavaScript is also one of the things I think excels, really, because I've come from a C++ background where we use CMake and no official package manager. That's really hell to manage packages there. Uh, and I also use NuGet for, you know, .NET. And I still think that when you ask me, I think that, that Yarn or NPM is definitely superior in a lot of ways. I love that. I love that. And just one more point I wanted to, to raise before we moved on to the, the next topic was um, talking about there the blurring of the lines between the front end and the back end. Mikhail put it nicely and said, is middle stack developers going to come about? Um, what did you mean by that, Mikhail? Um, well, well, I mean that uh, I think so, especially with something like uh, like GraphQL, uh, where you have um, so you can sort of define your GraphQL schema in a lot of different ways. But I think if you're doing it, it right, then you're making like a very thin layer. Um, then your graph, uh, then basically your your front end is a very thin layer, sort of on top of the data that comes back from your GraphQL API. Um, so you have like very flexible and sort of rich types to uh, to basically like plug. Like pretty much straight into your uh, into your components, um, and that also means that if you, as a front end developer, are going to like implement some page that's going to show kind of like some chats and then like an avatar sort of next to it, um, then by by having uh, by by having a GraphQL um, instead of like some some REST API, you can on the front end you can sort of program your queries so you get exactly the kind of data you want but then you also need to have the uh some knowledge and uh, some expertise in okay if this if like the email is not on the user type then i need to know how to go into uh go into the graphql uh, api to um uh, to to add that or to add a type to a union to to sort of cover the issues cases so you're kind of and, and that is sort of um, traditionally sort of like back-end type work, like this, you have your front-end, then you have something that serves up from your front-end, and then you have sort of your actual back-end, which, which may be like straight into the, the, the Node.js server that serves the API, but also maybe like a microservice thing like further on. And I think sort of working in the front-end and like this API layer uh, thing is, is like, is powerful, a powerful skill and, and, and useful again, sort of for the velocity you can have like as a, as an individual developer or in I love it. Love it, guys. Well, let's move on to, to the next topic. Um, we're talking about the future, of course, of open source front end software. So we, we do need to answer that question in a sense. Now, um, I know from speaking with all of you and I know from, from doing recruitment that TypeScript seems to be coming up a lot more. Is it taking over from JavaScript? We know it's part of the tool chain. Um, we're touching on a bit about Rescript too. Nikki, I want to come to you first. What's been your experience? I think definitely that TypeScript has um, slowly, it will slowly become a standard. I don't see that many like pure JavaScript uh, projects being uh, started up. Um, it's, it's always uh, TypeScript. So existing code bases will slowly be written to, to TypeScript. You want to maintain it. And all new projects will, uh, in, a, in a larger degree than before, be, be written in, in TypeScript. Uh, I, and, yeah, it's clear they definitely won the, the so to speak, uh, uh, type language wars. Uh, I remember a few years ago, there was a, a toss up whether it would be TypeScript or Flow was a thing. Um, also, uh, a Rescript or, or um, Reason, as it was called before. Uh, although I guess that also serves some other uh, use cases. Um, so, yeah, definitely, I, I see. Um, it's a valuable skill to have because I, I do think it's going to be uh, the future of JavaScript, basically. Jonas, come to you. Yeah, I, th I think it's a good point that that TypeScript is going to, going to be the future of JavaScript. But I also do think that that movement is due to some of the, I wouldn't say issues, but some of the hackiness that JavaScript has had, like the, the uh, what's it called, rumor or yeah. 
uh, that that's an issue I've heard about at least that all of these hacky things you can do in JavaScript. You see like funny issues where you take like a, an integer and, and then do a plus sign and then to a string and then just does concatenation and you can do the same with like an integer and a string plus an integer and all of this stuff and all of this stuff is getting like sorted out by doing TypeScript because you have this this strict types now that so you, you're not you don't question what you're doing when you're doing stuff you don't get a, a an output that you're not expecting and I do think that's the way that we want to go so you you TypeScript solves a lot of those issues um i also think it's a valid point that i think denmark is a very heavily microsoft based country um and, and a lot of backends are like written in c sharp comes from like very type strong languages and you want your front end to reflect this um so you want to be able to handle that and you want to be able to have the same models that you do in the back end and the front end saying okay i can validate my input and, and all of that uh frozen context comes along with that. So maybe a bit more development time because you need to sort everything out in that manner. Uh, but I do think that the debugging and you just creating less issues as you develop other stuff is, is well worth it. Who's going next? <laughs> Can I just uh, quickly like add to what the, the Jonas said? Um, I think it's a bit of a, a fallacy that that you have to spend like invest time in in creating um all your types um because in my mind it's actually an accelerator because as as, as soon as you have the type whether it's hopefully not manually typed but ideally it should come from some some schema that you have um but it it saves you so much in development time because suddenly um it, you have intellisense so you know if you're Typing user, then uh, the, the your IDE already knows what properties you can you can access and what what types those are, and it will tell you when when you're doing something that is wrong. So I do think that yeah, it's an investment, but I, I think actually it does make you work faster uh, from the beginning. I don't think there's that there's like a time you put on top because the, the savings are greater than the investment all, already from from the start. Awesome, Mikhail. I think you were next, and then we'll come to Kim. Uh, yeah, um, uh, kind of actually the same same kind of uh, point that that Nikki made, but maybe with some some more concrete examples. Like so, Kim mentioned uh, Prisma, uh, which um, like generates types based on sort of the schema uh, that you you have. So like you run a command, and then you have all the types that you need uh, in uh, like on your backend um, uh, already sort of generate and check for you. And if you do at least we do GraphQL, then you have code generals on the front end. So um, so I think some of this extra work that you may be used, used to have to do in TypeScript of then also preparing like your ambient modules or whatever that, that sort of falls, um, that falls away. Uh, sort of as a plug, I, I still think TypeScript is not as good as it's, it could be. Um, there are some like cases where uh, you can get sort of unsound, uh, TypeScript doesn't like check like if you have like an array of numbers and then you get like some index out, it, it doesn't say, hey, this index might be undefined. Um, mm. If you uh, have like, uh, so if you have like two functions, one that like takes, that's uh, that's type annotated as a string and you call that from another function, then you still have to like, so you call F takes a string and does something with it. And then G takes something and then calls F then TypeScript still doesn't know that the thing that you call like G with is, is a string. Um, so you're still doing, I think, more um, manual work in, in TypeScript that you would have to do it with sort of what's built better from the ground up, but also still think it's, a, it's an improvement that's like miles better than, than, than JavaScript, uh, plain JavaScript. Uh, and, I, and I completely agree. I just think it's, as you said, it's a work in progress. Um, I think everything gets better with better tooling. And I already think we've made it very far in regards to, as Nikki mentioned, like uh, doing models in your front end is, is not always a manual process. It is sometimes, but but with better tooling, you can automatically generate those and just yeah, work, work with those tools to smoothen out the whole process. And, and in the end, just have a product which is so much better and safer for the user to use and safer for your organization and all of that. 
Yeah, and I, and I think sort of an extra little like twist to uh, add on this is that even if you're then hiring someone who comes like from a like a pure JavaScript background, don't know all of these tools. Um, I think there's also a benefit in, in like onboarding because you have like way more guardrails against someone who doesn't know this code base sort of by have like by heart by having worked for us for a couple of years who can still know that if I like return this, if I if I change this function somewhere, then it tells me all the places that it breaks instead of having to remember, oh yeah, like two years ago that was a bug where we did this, so I have to be like extra careful. Hi, Kim, we, you had your hand up there. Did you have something to add? Yeah, so uh, I would really like to to, uh, to comment on the question, why are we moving to TypeScript? Um, because I actually came from, um, actually came from, a, from Seagull, where we use Google Closure, which is basically a type checking solution, just doing it through the JavaScript uh, comments. So it's basically a system where you, you annotate your functions and classes and whatever in, uh, in JS doc, um, which basically uh, solves the problem about type checking to, to an extent. Um, one of the things that I liked about, you know, doing it that way is that the code you write, uh, you know, in your IDE can actually be the code that runs directly in your browser, whereas TypeScript is a completely, you know, superior language to JavaScript in some ways. So you can't just run TypeScript directly in your browser. You need some kind of tool chain in between. Um, there are some good sides, there's some bad sides to that. But what I think is really important to talk about when we talk about TypeScript is not only to talk about type checking, but also, you know, the move towards something like metaprogramming or something like this. And you can actually express yourself in a lot of ways in TypeScript that I think is very different from, you know, the different types of safe languages we have in, in, in the rest of the world, like let's say C Sharp or C++ or whatever, because TypeScript uh, really goes type checking down to the value level. You can basically say that, you know, you, don't, you, you, you not only want a string as a, as a type for this, you know, uh, function argument, you actually want to restrict it to only be, you know, these four different strings. So in a lot of other languages, you would end up with having to make an enum or something, you know, somewhere else in the code and whatever and use that type. But TypeScript actually allows you to do some very specific, you know, uh, type constraints uh, in place, which I really love and which I use every day. Uh, and it also, you know, allows you to compose basically um, uh, like types, uh, like unions, for example. You, you can basically take, make a type and say, this type should be either this type or this type or this type. So you can basically do some very complex compositions of these types, not only limited to making a class or a structure, but you can actually, you know, make a type out of a certain set of values. That's one of the things that I think makes TypeScript really excel, uh, which is some of the features that I don't find is just as easy to do just with Closure or I think it's called FlowJS, another type checker for, you know, JS doc based typing. Um, and at the end, I, I definitely agree on that when you have something like TypeScript instead of JavaScript, there's a lot of cases where the IDE has an easier time knowing which kind of types you can uh, you can input into that function you're trying to call. Whereas in JavaScript, in raw JavaScript, I, I experience a lot of the times that the IDE try, tries to guess in some cases what you want in there as a parameter type. Fantastic. And one point I did want to move to, um, I think it kind of sums up really well what we've um, talked about today and kind of spoke through. Um, Mikhail pointed me towards a, a tweet by a guy called Gergay Aros, who's the author of Pragmatic Engineer. And he highlighted really that he's observing more startups are choosing TypeScript in their tech stack. So it's Node.js with TypeScript on the back end, React TypeScript on the front end, and GraphQL as the API. My question to you is, is this what we're going to see more of going forward, what we spoke of today? And is it going to be easier to hire and pick it up as a developer? So open to the floor. So whoever wants to jump in, um, please take it away. If I can just jump in. I, I, I think it's a good point with having the, the full stack be more united with one technology say TypeScript in this in this case, um, I think it's easier to both recruit 
and uh, teach people and all of that. So I do think it comes with a great range of benefits, but I also think it's it may be dangerous to limit your entire staff to only doing one stack, because uh, then you won't find all of the new stuff happening everywhere else, because the IT world is developing so quickly and there pops up new frameworks, new programming languages, new, yep, all of those new technologies popped up everywhere and they all do a bunch of different things uh, really great, uh, but they all have each use case. Um, so I do think we'll see more of the TypeScript stack in the future, yes. Um, but I just saying this out to everyone, but like, be careful not to only go with this stack and not, not investigate your options in regards to, okay, everybody's saying TypeScript and uh, Node uh, backend is this stuff, but but if it really just makes more sense for you to do a C Sharp or a Python backend, do that or do a microservice backend so you could have like a portion of it be TypeScript, a portion of it be uh, Python and a portion of it be C Sharp because we have those options today with all of the great technologies that we have. Kim, we'll come to you next. I think that I have two target groups in mind where you know the answer really differs in 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 every way. Uh, because when I'm thinking of you know people coming from, in my case, for example, from the .NET world or from C++ or some other kind of you know uh, type safe language, uh, I think it might be easier to transition to TypeScript in a lot of ways because. You know, you're familiar with typing, you're familiar with that you have a compiler, and you're familiar with that the compiler helps you in a lot of ways, uh, which I think that might make migrating from some of the languages easier. Where I think that there's a big difference is that for newcomers to programming, um, I was a helping teacher on my local university for a lot of years ago. And one of the things that I experienced with people having a hard time understanding when they enter into programming it's a concept around compiling, that you have to have a tool chain that basically you know, compiles. The only thing that they could understand was that you had a text editor that, that you wrote code in, and then they basically just expected the code to run, right? But what they had a hard time grasping is that you have a whole tool chain uh, helping you, you know, compiling and making machine code and whatever. Another thing is also that type safety can also add something to the learning curve I mean, JavaScript, it's really forgiving uh, when you write, you know, some very small pieces of code that might not, you know, run the way you expect it. But still, I think there's some psychology in that when you have a compiler telling you that there's a, you know, a syntax error somewhere and you think, well, is this a, is this a mathematical expression? Why doesn't this work, right? It, it's very easy to punish uh, that, you know, newcomer uh, developer Whereas in JavaScript, I think it's more forgiving and it might be um, a little bit easier for newcomers to learn. Uh, so I think there's two different cases to this. Um, sort of, I, I, think, I think that's true. Um, also, I think there's a reason why, um, so say Python is also a sort of very popular programming language, sort of introductory language, because it, it has sort of the same, like you just start, writing and then you get like an exception somewhere or something come out, out weird, but there's not very much sort of friction uh, up front. I think that to an extent also has to do at least with the state that um, TypeScript's uh, type system is is in now where um, like in most type bases, uh, in, in most um, code bases, you like you kind of have to do type annotations, uh, type annotations everywhere. Whereas with um, something like, uh, with something like Rescript or, um, or like the early iterations, I mean, if you use something as a string, then it's going to be like a string all the way through and tell you exactly like this is not a string. Whereas if you use like the TypeScript compiler, then you get like huge error messages um, sort of that are very difficult. And, and basically what you have to do is like scroll down to the bottom and then you go, okay, this is a string, but you're expecting an int. But but it's it's not very ergonomic, I think, for, um, um, for the de developing experience, not as ergonomic as it, as it could be and, and that it sometimes uh, is in, in languages that don't have like the JavaScript legacy. Spot on with the point about, you know, the, you know, error messages, because they can become, you know, long and really hard to read sometimes. Yeah. Some great points, guys. Well, a bit of fun before we get into answering some of the questions that have come through. Uh, I want to quickly go around the room, starting with Nikki, and find out what's your favorite web stack to use? 
um, well, everything um, basically that we've been talking about today. Uh, so I love working with, uh, with React and, and TypeScript. And uh, I, I try to, to do that uh, both uh, front-end and back-end. Um, uh, usually, I, I work with, um, at this point, I'm starting new projects uh, with Next.js, which allows me to basically uh, very easily do TypeScript on, on the back-end. And so there's no, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's really no distinction whether or not it's, it's running on the client and, or the server. Sometimes I forget when I'm writing code like, wait, isn't this supposed to be running on the server? That means I don't have a DOM, for example. Um, uh, yeah, and in terms of like the backend itself, other than Next.js, um, I I kind of um, I look into what the the, the project itself is about uh, because it might be that it makes sense to have a GraphQL API. It might make sense to uh, to do serverless. Um, and in some cases, uh, maybe like some, some Prisma uh, stuff. But anyway, uh, regardless of what I pick, it is something that is um, uh, has strong types and is um, uh, like <laughs> it's something that I can use. I don't I don't see myself uh, go out and and learn Rust, for example, because I don't need to. I I know TypeScript <laughs> and. Uh, so, so that's that's what I'm I'm sticking to. Um, yeah, TypeScript all the way. Fantastic, Mikhail. Come to you next. Um, so this is going to be like very opinionated. So if if I got to choose sort of building like a greenfield project from from the start, uh, then maybe branching out later to other other things as needed. But it would be Rescript with React 18 on the front end. It would be uh, GraphQL. Uh, a relay API, a GraphQL relay API. Um, it would be um, uh, so it would be GraphQL Yoga and Pothos and uh, Prisma on the back end. Um, and I uh, and I think sort of a huge part of it is that the, for me at least, like development experience is is very very good. Um, also, would have to be sort of yes, so in that um, ecosystem, the, the Rescript relay ecosystem, uh, the ecosystem around that, there are very good. Um, code lenses and actions for VS Code. There's a there's a router that sort of shows you, oh, if you're on this route, or like this route uses these components, or this component are using these different routes, and there's sort of server-side rendering built in. And um, that gives me sort of personally like a lot of speed uh, and safety as, as a developer that that for the initial parts of a project at, at least um, are, are going to be, if, if you're building a prototype or trying to find product market fit, all these start to be password that lets you get to somewhere um, really quickly. And then uh, I, I think Jonas is, is correct that then you you might, as you scale, run into specific problems that need um, other tools uh, later on. But that, and then you start thinking about spinning that, like a part of your backend out into a different service that then opens up again what you can, uh, uh, what you can, what what technology you can use, whether that's like your RPCing or me passing messages around or whatever it is. But um, but for the uh, but but anything that I start from scratch would be very much in, in uh, would would be this set of, of tools and, uh, and tool chains. Fantastic. And uh, Jonas, we'll come to you next, mate. Yeah, cool. Um, so for now, I thoroughly enjoy playing around with Angular and on top of that with their RxJS. I think it's a really nice framework, but I do think it's a nice framework for building large scale scalable applications. If you want to do like massive applications with lots of modules, lots of pages, why not? Um, actually for my like own hobby projects that I do at home, uh, I'm surely talking front end because that's today's topic. Um, for, for my own projects, I like to go around in React because I do think it's it's a lot quicker building stuff in React, um, but it does come with a bit more, you have to be aware as a developer, otherwise you may just have a component just running completely off, going like a thousand lines of code and whatnot, whereas in Angular and all that, um, it, it sort of just makes it easier for the developer seeing, okay, this doesn't make sense to put in here, I have to build a new component and whatnot, whereas in React, it's just, okay, I can build everything in a single file and just fire away. So yeah, hence why I enjoy doing it for my, if I'm testing stuff, but if I want to build something that I'm, I, I want to deliver for a customer or something, I, I, I would actually prefer Angular. Can I ask a quick follow-up to that? 
Um, would you say that's because uh, that's because like Angular enforces like these sort of nice separations, whereas like you can do those separations in React, but it like you're not you're not forced to do them. So so you get like some some kind of from that. Yeah, exactly. So so already just in the layout of uh, Angular, you have your like uh, template file and your TypeScript file, and React you just have your one say TypeScript or uh, JavaScript file. So already there, you have the separation between some logic and some visual stuff, um, and just that. And then, and then if you bring new people to the project, it's a lot easier for them to see. Okay, this is the approach, and not just firing away, firing huge components. So yeah, fantastic. And Kim, just quickly come to you before we get to at least one of these questions. Um, what's your favorite web stack? So first of all, it's uh, it's important for me to say that I have um, a very uh, you know uh, complicated background because I've been in you know doing C in the in the game side and have been doing .NET as well in the tooling side uh, and have come onto front end later. So I've tried out a, a lot of different you know ways of working, a lot of different stacks. Uh, but in so it might be a, re a lot of religion to me, but for me, uh, I think one thing is very important first to emphasize on is that JSX is basically a concept that React uses. That means that you can combine you know, Markov and JavaScript. There is a lot of different you know, uh, tools and, and frameworks that can use JSX to build you know, UI. You have React, you have SolidJS. Uh, you you, there's even frameworks where you can build you know, games uh, using JSX. But one of the things that I really love about JSX is that um, you basically decouples uh, in a lot of ways, your your UI from a specific framework because uh, React is basically only providing you with uh, a way a virtual DOM that basically translates you know JSX into actual uh, you know pre pre present, uh, presentable DOM uh, for for the browser. Um, so for me, I think that uh, I prefer to have you know a stack divided into smaller pieces because. Let's say, for example, that I want to upgrade React. I only need to upgrade the stuff that actually directly depends on React. Uh, and if I keep my, if I stick to my solid principles uh, a lot of the way, and I have architected my software properly, uh, I think that it's easier to, you know, um, to bump up to new versions from different libraries when you have smaller libraries, uh, because that you only have smaller pieces of code that depends on these libraries. Uh, no offense to you, Jonas. I've been working with Angular as well, whereas Angular I would consider Angular a framework, whereas React is more like a library, because Angular is really fantastic in the ways that it comes with a whole package for a lot of things. It also makes it easier, you know, that if you have, you know, want to hire an Angular developer, you basically know that this Angular developer, if he says he can Angular, he can do a lot of things because Angular has a certain way of doing stuff, and that's a really good tool for making, you know, your, your code across a huge you know, enterprise project consistent because it has certain ways of doing things. That's one of the pitfalls with, let's say, choosing React because it's only a library. Then you usually combine it with a lot of different, you know, library state management and uh, whatever not. Um, but to the question, what is my preferred stack? Um, I would definitely say that I would go with either, you know, Next.js or React or, or, or SolidJS, at least something that is JSX based. Uh, I would definitely go for Apollo, uh, both on the server and the client side, uh, because I think it eases uh, a lot of the state management. It eases the communication, the GraphQL communication, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, at the end, I would uh, definitely go for Prisma. Uh, that means Node.js backend, uh, because I really love how easy it is to integrate you know, uh, Apollo, Prisma, and the whole GraphQL uh, system together. Uh, and I think it's it's really uh, easy to iterate on. Uh, I would say that it's 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 really uh, in its infant stage still. You know this whole kind of uh, Prisma GraphQL uh, thing. So you might run into some you know uh, small problems here and there. But I think it's definitely worth uh, the time in investing in it because it's it's making a, a, a lot of stuff so much easier that I I had to you know problems with in the past, especially on the ASP.NET side. So I, I definitely would vote for JSX combined with Apollo and Prisma. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. Well, um, I did want to ask one of the questions from Metin uh, Ahmed, but um, obviously we're going to run out of time in just a second. So what I'm going to do, uh, if you're listening, Metin, is uh, ask all the guys to perhaps give um, an answer um, off, off the record uh, and we'll definitely get that out to you. Um, but just before we finish, I really want to take this time to thank Nikki, to thank Mikhail, Kim and Jonas for making this webinar so fantastic today. Um, please reach out to them if you have any further questions. They're all experts in what they do, and they're all great guys uh, and lovely to speak to. Um, if you want to listen to this webinar again or you weren't able to listen to the full thing, head to our podcast. There's the Evolution Exchange. You'll find um, both this webinar. Uh, we did a webinar last week on freelancing in Denmark, um, but there's a whole load of po podcasts um, over Nor uh, the Nordic region, Sweden and Denmark, uh, that make for some fantastic listening. But um, thank you guys for your time today. And I'd love to do an extension of this perhaps in the new year because um, we've still got so much to cover. All right. We'll Thanks have all the best. Thanks for having us. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> ciao, ciao.